Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and from struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. Thank you for leaving reviews. Thank you for sending me your comments. It warms my heart. To all the new listeners, I hope you enjoy and I hope you'll join us again. Today's guest has a truly storied career in the Web 2 and Web 3 space with experience from the heavy hitting tech companies to the pioneering work she's doing now in Web 3. And I'm really not over exaggerating this. We'll get into it. Today on the show is Sandy Carter, who is currently Senior Vice President of Business Development at Unstoppable Domains. Uh, which very exciting news this week that Unstoppable Domains just became a unicorn company, reaching that that very historic $1 billion valuation, which is amazing, which is also something I'm sure we'll talk about. I want to also note that Sandy is the real deal because she has a published Wikipedia page that includes a photo, which <laughs> something maybe 20 years ago was uh, simpler to do. But today it's a tough process, and that that's a real receipt showing that you have a, a very, very impressive career. So Sandy, welcome to the show. Please please feel free to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit of your backstory. Shut me up, you know. <laughs> well, Lindsay, first of all, I love uh, I love the boss pause. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I got very lucky with the rhyming thing there. <laughs> yeah, that's, re that's really cool. Um, I really love that. So yes, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I always love to come and, you know, share any experiences that I can that might help others out along the way. So and I am currently here at Unstoppable Domains. I love what I do. I, I, I tell everybody I feel so lucky to meet with folks all day long. So this morning I started out with the uh, ancient warriors that were producing black and brown artist NFT collections. So cool to, you know, a wallet partner council to, you know, meeting with our, with our phenomenal team here as well. I did come over from Amazon Web Services, which I absolutely loved. I learned so much from them. I can only... Uh, thank them for all of the training that they gave me as well. So, and I know we'll get into some of that as we go along with Lindsay. Yes, I definitely want to start with talking about your career and how you made this web two to web three jump. And then we'll, we'll definitely talk about unstoppable domains. As you said, you, you've been a leader at fortune 25 companies. I know you mentioned Amazon. I, I believe IBM was also in your resume. So we're talking about, you know, really big tech companies. I know you already penned an op-ed about this for business insider, which I have linked in the show notes, but let me start by asking you why you chose to jump into web three business development and what that transition has been like for you. Yeah. So I get asked this question a lot, which is really fascinating to me because I am, um, I consider myself a geek girl. I love technology. I love being on the leading edge. You know, before AI was AI, I took classes at MIT so that I was ready for the trend. So this is something that I just, I love to do. I was actually at Amazon Web Services, which is the technical part of Amazon, um, having a really great time. And I was looking and working with my customers and my partners 
and they started using blockchain. And so I really love to understand the details behind the technology that my partners and customers use. So I dove deep. I, as we say, went into the rabbit hole, down the rabbit hole on blockchain. I spent a year doing that and looking at all the phenomenal use cases on Web 2 and Web 3. And so that got me really interested. I started playing as a consumer getting a crypto wallet, getting rugged on my crypto wallet. Someone took all my money. Like it really made me upset. Like I'm a geek. Did you too, Lindsay? Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I mean, I had, so I, I recently opened a wallet and I have not, I have not um, been scammed yet, but I will say I'm, I'm sort of expecting that as part of the learning process as well. Um, definitely not pouring too, too many funds into there at the moment. So I think that's a totally relatable experience. <laughs> And, you know, if you're if you're in technology and it happens, it really makes you upset. And so I was like, OK, I've got to I've got to help in this space. And so then I got a call from um, Matt, who's our CEO and founder. And uh, he came up to Seattle and sat down, which I thought was so personable and um, just very insightful. And so I spent some time with him learning about what Unstoppable was doing, learning about what was happening in Web3. And uh, I always tell him, I say, after our four hour dinner, because it was a long dinner <laughs> at the Cheesecake Factory because he was flying in and wanted someplace close to the airport. Um, I was sold on the company. Yeah. So, and that's kind of how I did it. So I went from blockchain, which is the, you know, the core and the base, the backbone of the technology for Web3 from that over to Unstoppable, which focuses on digital identity, all linked together. And it's, I haven't looked back one time. Well, I have a bit of a bone to pick because I am a Carnegie Mellon alum. So anytime we uh, we meet MIT uh, fellows, you know, we, we have to fight each other now. I think that's the only way. <laughs> um, just kidding. But anyways, so what excites you about the change from... I hesitate to say more traditional because I still want to note that Amazon is a very dynamic and adaptable company. Um, it's just that it, I guess, on the scale of completely traditional to completely non-traditional, Amazon is closer to the traditional end than a lot of crypto and Web3 companies are. So what kind of excites you about that change? I know you mentioned in the wider world that getting scammed was part of the motivation for joining, but on a more day-to-day -day operations level, what makes you excited about Web3 and what are a little bit of the differences between being in a Web3 company and being in a Web2 company? Well, I always want to be part of the, the new, like what are we creating? Where is this going? And so the prime motivation for me was that we were just starting in Web3. I like to say it's the dial-up phase, like that's where we are today. And I really want to impact where the internet goes. So for Web2, I feel like I got to impact pieces of where it was going. But I feel Web3 right now is in that formative stage. Uh, we have the backbone technology of blockchain, but I think the very next thing to be formed will be digital identity. And for me, that's very both personal as well as professionally challenging. You know, today, if you look at, you asked me some of the differences in Web2, you know, you go and you sign in to Google with your username and password. And then you go and you have a different username and password for Twitter or for Instagram. And for the convenience of signing into those great applications and you get to use them, they collect the data about you. So they own the data. 
And I just saw a report yesterday that said that Google and Facebook alone did $100 billion so far this year on selling your data. And um, for me, you know, it, it's a little scary. Like I was, uh, the other day, my husband and I were, we were driving somewhere and uh, our friends were throwing a costume party. So we were like, oh, well, we met in Texas. Let's dress up like, you know, cowboys and that kind of thing. That'll be fun. And we were talking about hats and, you know, friend and all that. And the next thing we knew, we saw pop up on Facebook, literally, like we were just talking about it, were all these ads for friend shirts and, and Stetson cowboy hats and boots. Um, and insane. so, you know, that just makes, that's I know it is, so I know. And they know they say they're not listening, but you know, that's a big difference. Web three, what happens is you log in, let's say you have unstoppable domain, you log in with that domain, which now serves as your digital identity. And then your digital identity travels with you across the metaverse. You can sign into a metaverse, you can sign into a game, you can sign into a DeFi app. And this is happening today. And that information travels with you. So you're not giving your data to someone else. You get to decide who gets the data, who uses the data, how they use the data, when they use the data. And for me, that's such a powerful concept on a professional level, but also on a personal level. That's very important to me as we move forward. Well, and not to mention not having to have a thousand passwords. Oh, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, I actually counted mine because I, I did a keynote and one guy raised his hand and he said, well, how many passwords do you have? And I was like, you know, I don't know. So I did count. I, I have, I have 298. Holy guacamole. Mm -hmm. Yes. That is a lot of places to enter. Mm -hmm. strings of text and numbers and permutations of those strings of text and numbers that you can never remember. I think that many of us in the web two world spend more time going through the forgot password options than we spend on the actual thing that we forgot the password of. <laughs> I can imagine that there's, there's some data out there about that. Um, I want to talk more about this data privacy uh, just because this is something I'm extremely passionate about. And part of what we're talking about here is data portability, being able to transition from one platform to another very easily because you own your data, someone else doesn't own it. Um, and also interoperability, you can use the same apps across many different types of platforms to in and it's it's all you know your data was this something was data privacy and the idea of this and of owning your digital identity was that something that you noticed prior to joining unstoppable domains was that an issue that you cared about before unstoppable domains or was this learning about the blockchain and then learning kind of what the differences could be in signing into a metaverse was that more of an impetus or a motivation for being more passionate or interested in data privacy which one came first is a chicken yeah. or egg question <laughs> i would say well it's actually a little bit of both so um i used to work on i've worked on so many things in my career and one of the things i worked on were standards for a single sign-in and so, um, you know, we had tackled the problem then, but because we didn't have the technology like a blockchain in order to accomplish what we needed to accomplish, it didn't get to the point it needed to get to. So it was really a combo of, I had studied this problem before. Now with so many, you know, data issues happening, data breaches happening, just so many things in that space happening. And now having the technology, it's the start of the technology for building out your digital identity that I saw kind of that light at the end of the tunnel that 
wow, this is possible. And this is something that I, you know, I really had on my, on my list to try to accomplish and help people with, um, because that, that's really important to me too. You know, uh, Lindsay, people say today that your company, it can't just be about profit. It's got to be about purpose. And, uh, and for me, this is the purpose behind Unstoppable Domains. It's not just about, you know, growing bigger or how many more domains. There really is this purpose. Our goal is, our mission is to get a domain in the hands of every person. Like we feel that digital identity is a human right. And that means if you have your own digital identity and you own it, then you own your data. And so that purpose mission is very strong and very powerful to me. And I think it's very motivating to a lot of people. I want to pivot a little bit. Uh, one of the things I love also in the aforementioned op-ed, that Business Insider one, that you talk about wanting to have more women in Web3. And I run a show to highlight women in tech, crypto, and the metaverse. Uh, so obviously very behind that. But what I want to ask you is what does that actually look like. I have people who approach me all the time and say, I want to get into Web3, but that's such an amorphous concept to me. You know, does getting into it mean having a wallet? Does it mean working a job? Does it mean, I, I don't even, is there other things that it means? You know, I don't even know what it looks like to have more women in Web3 in a truly meaningful way beyond just statistics. What does truly having women in Web3 mean to you? So for me, it means that women are educated enough about what it is and what it isn't, uh, what's there today and what's the future hold so that they can make informed decisions about jobs or side projects or side gigs or you know whatever they want to do. Part of my motivation was when I first came into Unstoppable, New York Times did an article about my movement from AWS over to Unstoppable. And so we got 1,500 applicants. Now that's a big deal for a small company. But as I looked at them, Lindsay, um, there was only about 2% women. Now, I was known at, at AWS for uh, whenever I would put out a job rec, 40% of the folks who applied were women. Uh, I believe that's pretty consistent. You know, if you can see it, you can be it. Women get more women applicants. You know, uh, Latino gets more Latino applicants. It's just kind of you, you kind of see what you can be and therefore more people apply. I had never had 2% women. I was appalled. And so I started asking people about it. And what I found was that, you know, it's kind of the old, old uh, analogy that women will apply for a job when they're a hundred percent sure of all the qualifications and men will apply at 40. And so most of the women said, I really want to do web three, but your application said knowledge of web three and I'm not knowledgeable. I formed a group called unstoppable women of web three to do just that. Our mission is all about education. I founded it with companies because there are so many groups out there today on web three for the individual. So I wanted companies to get involved. Like this is an industry uh, challenge. Only 8% of the workforce for Web3 and the metaverse today are women. This is an industry issue. And so I figured I wanted all companies to get engaged and to help provide education for women in the space. And for me, that was that was very powerful. I thought, Lindsay, we were announced on International Women's Day and I thought we'd get like 20 companies. We got 70. So it really resonated with a lot of companies. Yeah, now we're up to Congratulations. Thank you. Now we're up to 120. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, what do those educational programs actually look like? Well, I guess I want to ask a couple couple caveats to that. One, um, what what is contained in them? 
two, how can people sign up? <laughs> and three, how can people get involved with uh, you know, teaching if they want to or on that kind of back end if they have experience in Web3? Yeah, great question. So um, first, we have a website. It's called unstoppablewow3.com. We also have a Web3 version, unstoppablewow3.x. But, you know, so far, Web3 websites aren't searchable, aren't Google searchable. So we had to have both. On that website, there's ways you can join as a company and ways you can join as an individual. So what we've been doing is testing the market right now. So we've been providing education on Web3, on careers, on communities, on NFT groups, on DeFi. So now what we've developed is a set of streams on each of the top educational areas. So let's take DAOs, for instance. DAOs are really interesting. Um, If you don't know, a DAO is a Decentralized Autonomous Organization, or DAO for short. And it acts like a community group that votes either with a token, a digital asset, or Um, You know, one company, one vote, one person, one vote, that sort of thing. It's a very hot topic now because a lot of companies in Web3 are DAOs. And so we've got um, a stream of education for DAOs. So what is a DAO? What are some of the options? Um, How do you form a profitable DAO? How do you form the most community-friendly DAO? And so both us as Unstoppable Domains, as well as uh, member companies are contributing to that and will grow that out. Eventually, what I envision is that there'll be some sort of certification, right? So Lindsay is certified in 101 DAO or 201 DAO as we move forward. And we have a whole set of streams that we've agreed to based on the interest from the community itself, which today is about 40,000 women strong. That's so cool. Um, I, I hope that people listening, go check that out. That's that's a really awesome resource to kind of get in and get started. I also want to plug that I did an episode called What is a DAO Anyway? with <laughs> another uh, woman who who runs uh, MBD Financials, which everyone should go check out if they want to learn what a DAO is anyway. Yeah, I, will, I will definitely do that. Okay, cool. Yes, that was a good one. Um, and speaking of kind of accessibility, education, all of this stuff, one of the things that you also mentioned in this Business Insider op-ed, which as you can tell, I read very closely, um, is that there is this accessibility problem in getting people actually onto Web3 platforms. And we actually kind of started with with talking about what, getting women into Web3, but there is a much wider problem as well with people in general. The barriers to entry are still kind of high. While there's definitely some movement from everyone from small startup tech companies to huge tech companies in in building things that are that make it more accessible to get into the metaverse. But do you think that there's enough prioritization from both big and small companies? I, I guess I'm I'm probably thinking more about large companies um, who can, who have really have the billion people user bases. Do you think there's enough prioritization on building the metaverse to actually improve that accessibility? And framed from the other perspective, do you think audiences and consumers are actually ready for the metaverse? So first of all, are we doing enough to make it accessible? And then secondly, like people even want it to be accessible yet. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and this was really interesting. So I just got back from the metaverse summit in Paris. They released a new piece of research that said 89% of people felt like the metaverse was for the elite, which is horrible, right? I mean, they felt like only if you had great technology and, you know, money uh, that you could get into the metaverse, which, you know, everybody, of course, wants to change that. We think that the metaverse should be for everyone um, that exists out there. 
And so are people doing enough today? I would say no, but I do see that it's coming. Oh my gosh. I, Lindsay, met so many metaverse companies at the summit. They're doing another one in San Francisco. Then I'm going to Singapore. We're going to do another one there. The growth in the space is just mind blowing. And I think it's because the metaverse is such a an interesting concept of kind of in real life with the virtual world, using a lot of technology that we've played with before, augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence. And I just think that there's a compelling value proposition there. So are we doing enough? I would say no. In fact, uh, it's interesting. So I'm an adjunct professor at Carnegie Mellon. I love Carnegie. Carnegie, as you know, is has the most women graduating in computer science and engineering than any other school in the world, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's just the best school. I'm my completely unbiased, very neutral point of view. <laughs> I, I, I love it. It's it's awesome. So I went to go teach in the metaverse. One of the other guys had said to me, oh, I want to come and listen and experience it and see how you do it. This is a professor who's super wicked smart. I helped him build his avatar. And I, you know, and I said, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'll practice. So I went into the metaverse to do my presentation and I was sitting there doing my presentation and I looked up and there he was on the ceiling. His avatar was on the ceiling. And so obviously I was speaking and he was DMing me the whole time. Help, I can't get off the ceiling. Help, I can't get off the ceiling. And I couldn't help him. Now this is a wicked smart dude, right? He couldn't get off the ceiling. So are there areas that we need to improve for usability? Absolutely. There's so many things that we can be doing there and that we need to be doing there. Um, and it's one of the reasons, again, I love Unstoppable because now you can use that digital identity to sign into all these metaverses. You don't have to have 100 IDs to do that. But Lindsay, one of the things that I got to talk about at the Metaverse Summit in Paris was there's a, so many use cases of the metaverse for good and how it is disrupting the industry. Take education, right? Like when you're teaching, Teaching. In fact, one of my daughters the other day, they were learning about Mars and they, um, you know, they had a lecture on it. And then her professor, her teacher, sorry, I guess I should say teacher, her teacher took them into the Mars metaverse. She got to walk around, she got to play. And oh my gosh, Lindsay, she took away so much from that because she experienced it. She didn't just hear about it. So I think there are many, many, many places. Fashion, you know, I went to a fashion show and I got to deck out and clothes I would never wear. I had 10 inch heels on. I mean, it was super fun. I had so much fun. I got to go to the ABBA concert, which I don't know if you saw ABBA, but they did the digital memes for each of the singers when they were younger. It was, um, you know, they claim that that concert really changed the game because of the experience of the avatar was so much greater. So there's so much to do here for sure. But I do think that companies are recognizing it and seeing it like even KPMG just said a lot of their customer meetings now will be done in the metaverse. So I think large companies, small companies, Web3 companies, Web2 companies are all seeing the impact and the value of the metaverse. That's so cool and very, very fun. And I want to use this to pivot into you telling me about Unstoppable Domains. I've definitely done some Googling and I have an idea and you've given us a, a, a pretty good idea so far of what you actually do. But just for the audience out there, can you explain what Unstoppable Domains is, how it works and how you reach this magical, wonderful valuation level? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I, I see the company as really having two focuses, but they are tied together. They really 
For me, uh, part of the power of Unstoppable is that we do have both of these focus areas. So one is Unstoppable Domains. So we sell Web3 domains. So it's not a .com, but it would be like a .crypto or a .nft. So then you would be identified, Lindsay, as Lindsay.nft or Lindsay.crypto, whatever TLD that you preferred. So that's one piece of it, is getting you the domain, getting you that name, And then that name now can be used in the second part of the equation, which is that digital identity. So not just the name that can be used for a website, but now that name becomes your digital identity. And what that digital identity enables you to do is to collect data about yourself that you understand about yourself, and it enables you to log into multiple applications. So today with us, there's over 300 plus live applications, so many more that are coming that you can use that name. So you could sign into Cook Finance, which is a DeFi app or a decentralized finance app. You could take that same name and you could sign into, um, let's say, Atlantis Metaverse. Let's say you wanted to go to the Atlantis Metaverse. You could use that same name and then go sign into um, Zoople, which is like Zoom on Web3. Just that name, Lindsay.nft, I could now use and travel with that across all of my digital assets. And I think the combination of those two is very powerful. And that's what the investors recognized is that being able to have a domain that's then tied to your identity and store your data and your identity is powerful. So if you think about, you know, today we can store your, you know, some of your social media information about you, what country you're from, um, your email, your crypto ID. But imagine in the future, let's talk about education. Imagine being able to store your diploma and your certifications. So my daughter just took a class at a community college. Oh my gosh, it was so hard to get her transcript because I want it so that when she goes to university, she gets credit for it. I had to fax information in. Now, first of all, I had to find a fax machine. That is so painful. (laughs) Painful. So I had to find a fax machine. They eventually um, mailed, not emailed, mailed me the transcript on paper that I now have to keep. So imagine if in your digital identity, your diplomas, uh, right? Carnegie, MIT, Harvard, Arizona State University was stored in that identity. So then when a company asked you for it, you could go. Um, If you're joining an alumni club, you could go. You know, the other day I I heard an interesting fact, 30% of people who belong to alumni clubs never went to the university. That's great. Good for them. (laughs) I I love that. I love that there are people out there who even seek to join alumni clubs that they didn't go to the university for. Yeah, I know. Right. And so now now you can verify that you attended that. Yeah, university. that makes way more sense. Yeah. <laughs> Sporting events, same, same type of thing. I was working with Relic Tickets because we do NFT ticketing for all of our events. And they were telling me that people will say, oh, I went to the Super Bowl this year and they didn't go. Like 40% of people will say they went to the Super Bowl. They didn't go. So now you can get, you know, that could be in your digital record. So there are so many values here. Think about healthcare. You know, one of the big challenges with healthcare is each doctor has their own information. Well, if they could look at all that information at one time, you could get 
better diagnosis. And in fact, I just attended a um, healthcare startup day at NFT NYC. And um, the numbers they showed is that 80% of misdiagnosis come because the doctor who diagnosed you didn't have all the information. So imagine if all of that data existed in your digital identity. And that's just the start. Like there's so many opportunities here. In fact, on a panel that I was on down in Austin, Texas, they asked me, what's your favorite digital identity application today? And I was like, you know what? It hasn't been created. Like, I don't even know what's going to come. And that's going to be my favorite. I just know it because there's so many ways to bring this value forward. So this is, you can see, while I'm so excited about what we're doing, there's so much power here. That's so cool. So I have sort of a follow-up question about the functionality because I definitely understand how it works from an individual user perspective. Um, what do you offer for companies or brands to be able to build their identity? And how is that sort of different, you know, the way a business is maybe storing its own data, even if it's data, not even about its customers or its users, but about itself? You know, what does that, what does it look like? How does Unstoppable Domains work for a business? Yeah, well, the first thing I'll say that I'm very proud of that we've done is that we've protected it, all the businesses' domains that have been copyrighted or trademarked, and we constantly try to continue to do that. So for example, you know, McDonald's was one of the last to go to the internet, and then they ended up paying, I don't know, $6 million? I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But for McDonald's.com, they paid a lot of money because they weren't early enough, and they had to go out and buy that. So one of the things that we do at Unstoppable is if you are a company and you've got a trademark or a copyright on your name, we've protected that for you. So no one else can go out there and become you, right? So if you're a McDonald's and you want McDonald's.nft, we've saved that for you. We've protected it. I think that's very important. I don't know of any other company doing that today, um, protecting a business's name, which I know businesses are very um, interested in. Then for use as a business, it depends upon how you would like to use your domain and what kind of information about you that you collect would be important. So it could be around, you know, trends or how you're doing in sales or how your customers have reacted to certain announcements or their satisfaction level. So a lot of that data would be specific for a company and the company wouldn't store data about its customers because remember that data would be stored with the customer. So think about this now for companies now roles will change. So if I'm a marketeer today, what I do is, let's say I'm, um, I'm with a retailer. Today, what I do is I buy data from Facebook. I figure out the fraud rate, let's say 40%, and then I market to that customer list. In the future, in the Web3 world, if I'm now that same company, now as a marketer, I have to figure out how do I entice you, the user, to give me that data because I can't go buy it from Facebook anymore. One retailer that we're working with, they were looking at the price that they pay for the Facebook data and they assume a 40% fraudulent rate. They were saying instead of a 10% off coupon, they could give you and I a $1,500 coupon, which I really like. <laughs> um, yeah, my, my favorite price is free and my second favorite price is cheaper. So I'm on board with that. <laughs> I love that. Um, so anyway, there are... You know, companies today are coming to us. A lot of Web2 companies are coming to us asking, how will careers change? How will functions change? How will, you know, how will we 
function in the future because we still have to reach our customers. So that's primarily what we're focused on today. We're kind of looking at kind of this Web3 starter kit for Web2 companies. We've done a lot of, you know, just help because we're part of the community, helping them to understand some of the implications and some of the things that could be disruptive to them. That's all so cool. My mind is is running away with the idea of the change in marketing, especially. That's fascinating. And I I mean, obviously the big draw of the digital identity portion too is that hopefully the rate of fraudulent transactions, scam transactions, scam users goes way down to zero, (laughs) essentially. Yeah. Even uh, this weekend, you know, we went to a restaurant, you know, the Google reviews, once we left the restaurant, we're like, these can't be real Google reviews. Well, imagine if you could validate that the people leaving a review had really eaten there, had really experienced it, right? So there, there are so many ways that you can leverage and use this as you move forward, for sure. That's so funny because I explained to someone recently that I typically look for Google reviews in the 4.4 to 4.6 area because anything above 4.6, I'm extremely wary of how many people, how many of those reviews are fake. Sure, I, I do the same thing. I guess I didn't do it well enough on this restaurant we ate at this weekend, but there you go. <laughs> Maybe they had a whole lot of one star and a whole lot of five star and nothing in the middle or something. Who knows? So with the kind of education and accessibility gaps in mind, how are you getting your users acclimated to unstoppable domains? And you talked a little bit about the onboarding process, but what are kind of the feedback, the reactions you're getting from people who decide to join to join you? Yeah. So one of the things that we learned right away um, is that our mission, uh, given that we do this digital identity login, is really to work with other companies and have those companies reach their users. So it's really like a B to B to C is the way we work. And so one of the things that we found is that we do need to educate so many more people, just like we talked about with Women of Web3, the same thing is true of our partners' customers. And so we do pull together a lot of really cool education. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Um, We recently worked with the city of Miami. That city is so amazing, I have to tell you. One of the things that they have done is they set up a Miami for Everyone, a month-long education series to get all their citizens trained on Web3 and the metaverse. Like, how cool is that, right? I mean, the mayor of Miami just rocks it in the space. So we went down and we physically did education. We were at Miami-Dade College and we did education on what is a domain? How do you get a domain? How do you use the domain? What's the value of it? How do you protect your domain? And so we did in-person education in that example. In other examples, we do um, you know, cool little videos like how do you mint a domain? What is minting a domain? How do you connect it to a wallet? How do you get a wallet? So even though we don't sell a wallet, we help teach others how to get a wallet because it's so important you actually store a lot and you need the wallet for the domain itself. So we've done a lot of education and we present that to our partners to use with their customers as well. And then I don't know, Lindsay, if you've been on any of our Twitter spaces, you should come to some of our Twitter spaces. We do Twitter spaces um, twice a week. We do podcasts. You know, education for us is really important. I've heard a lot of Web3 companies say, you know, we're really not a tech company right now. Right now we're an education company because 
we have to get the mainstream to adopt. And that means we have to spend a lot of our time educating. Um, and that is part of what we do invest in is being able to do that education. That makes total sense. Uh, I, I like that disclaimer. I don't know if disclaimer is the right word, but that differentiation between being an education company, that definitely, definitely makes sense. And actually that leads perfectly into this question because one of the things that has come up on the show a couple of times is it's talking about NFTs and other digital collectibles. I, I think that now we're starting to use the term digital collectible because of the backlash against the word NFT, despite the fact that they're basically the same concept. And just as a disclaimer, I've said on the show, and I'll say again, that I think the negative attention makes for much more interesting news stories. And there's plenty of positive, very cool examples of what digital assets and digital ownership means. That may not be the pervasive opinion, thanks to bad press and also scummy projects. I don't want to denote some, some of the press coverage has been perfectly warranted. But with that in mind, what is your response to folks who may doubt the need for something like unstoppable domains or doubt the need for digital identity and digital ownership? I hope that as the education education gap closes, that those folks are able to reframe. But for now, do you have any points of argument that we haven't maybe gone over already on, on how to get people on board with realizing this is, this is the direction we're heading in? <laughs> Yeah, you know, one thing that I have found, and, and it doesn't work for everybody, but one thing that I found is using a an example today to explain how an NFT works is very helpful. Um, so for example, you know, today people collect all kinds of things, right? My mom collects Ted Williams baseball cards because uh, he... he I don't know what he was. He was like the the best uh, hitter or something like that. She got a date with him once. So now she's like a big fan. So she collects all his cards. I know my dad's still jealous and they've been married for 60 years. So it's kind of, it was, it was Pierce Brosnan for my mom. It's okay. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so, you know, I was telling my mom, when you buy a card, you have to make sure she's got ways that she can make sure that the card is real, that it's a real card, not a fake pretend card. And she values that because it's authentic and because it's something precious to her. I have another friend who collects Chanel purses, which are so crazy expensive, but that's what she collects. And we were chatting and I said, and you have to make sure that that Chanel purse is, is a real purse, right? And, and you could go on and on, right? And so I explained then that a digital asset is similar. You have to, it's a digital version of your purse or your baseball card, but you have to prove its authenticity. And that's the role of blockchain is to prove that it is a real asset and that you are the only owner of it, just like in person. And typically people get that. They understand that it, you know, what a collectible is, but you have to put it in that frame. I think just saying NFT did a disservice. I do like the collectible piece added on because I do think it, it helps out a lot. Um, now, the other thing that I do is I also talk about timeshares, right? So I know a lot of my friends have timeshares and they own two weeks in Hawaii, right? And that's also another benefit of NFTs is that fractionalized ownership. So you don't have to purchase the whole thing. You can purchase a part of a Banksy picture that is yours, a digital asset. Or I've now seen more real estate being done through NFTs and that fractional ownership, just like we used to do with timeshares, is now being done that way. And or companies, right? I mean, consider how many companies today are fractional ownerships that are made up of a DAO, which is essentially, you know, the same kind of thing as a shareholder meeting. That's typically how I like to explain it. It's just a digital version of what you have today in the physical. It's hard if you don't understand the value of digital 
which I think most people are starting to do today, but at least then they can picture, okay, what is it and why might I want to have it if it is a digital thing? This is what I will tell you though, Lindsay, the, um, the younger generation, I don't know what they're, we're calling them Gen Z, Gen, you know, whatever, they get it and they get it because, you know, they play games and they collect, my daughters collect, you know, all kinds of tools and dress it on virtual games. And for them, those are so valuable. And in fact, you know, for my daughter's birthday, I gave her a card so that she could go and buy more assets for her avatar in this particular game. So I do think that, you know, as we're transitioning, I think that there will be some people who get it, just like in social media. There are some people who got it instantly, some people who didn't, but that younger generation gets it right now. Um, And I just saw a report that said 40% of them are already active in the metaverse. So imagine as they continue to age, they value digital assets. Most of them value them more than something that's real. They've been experimenting in the metaverse. They have avatars. I do think that this will be um, something that will come of age as they enter the workforce. I don't think they'll accept how we do things today, right? Like even a Zoom call, you know, the other day my daughter was watching me on a call and she's like, why aren't you doing that in the metaverse? I'm like, why aren't I doing that? Like, why don't I have this all? Like, why am I doing this on a Zoom call? So some of those questions that to them are just so obvious that we are different about, I think will come to pass as well. You agree with that? Yes, that's something that's come up come up just over and over. I remember I had a, a woman on who who was talking about how her daughter interacted with Roblox. I think that's I mean, that's probably the most popular with kind of the younger, younger generations. Um, and yes, it was the exact same conversation about she's wanting to buy certain outfits and develop a style and show off to her friends what that style is and and build an environment which reflects that style. And it wasn't just about real world style. It was about in, in game style and how that works. Um, I'm so glad that you brought up gaming because that is kind of the best entry point we have right now into the metaverse. And think you're totally right that as people who game age more and more, it's going to become so much more apparent what the value of that ownership is. I also have a long running joke on this show that if you own a Funko Pop, I don't want to hear your opinion on NFTs. (laughs) That's been my rule of thumb. Like if you bought something that was a collectible for a thing that you liked just because you liked it, (laughs) then you don't get to have an opinion on NFTs being bad. So yes, I totally agree. I want to ask one final question before we get into our wrap up. And I would love if you just answer this kind of first reaction quickly as possible, like what your initial thought is. So when someone asks you, what is the metaverse? What do you say? I say it's a digital experience that uses tech like AR, VR, and AI, where we will live, work, play, and exist. Oh, I love that. New York Times couldn't do it any better. I remember listening to <laughs> wow, the daily the daily podcast. <laughs> the daily podcast and they they had this whole thing about the metaverse. And it's something that we talked about a lot on this show that I've talked about with other guests, just because it is the framing should be very kind of loose and and defined, but also undefined. Um because there's just so much possibility out there. And like you said before, your favorite thing about the metaverse is the one that hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> That's right. So 
totally get it. Okay, Sandy, I am going to summarize a bit about what we talked about, and then we're going to get into the last section here. So we talked about how you went from web two to web three. The thing that you highlighted the most that you always stayed up to date with tech trends. You decided to join web three after seeing clients use the blockchain. You wound up getting scammed in that process and then decided to get involved to help build something better. We're in the dial up phase of web three, which means the next thing to be formed will be this idea of a digital identity and being able to own your data and allowing that data to travel with you around the metaverse. So having a digital identity and owning your data is your human right to be able to figure out what you want and who you want to be in the metaverse. And I think that transition in the reasons for your transition would have been so cool. You did an excellent job on that, by the way. That was awesome. Oh, thank you. Awesome summary. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we have more, Sandy. Don't oh, okay. you worry. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about women getting into Web3 means having women understand the industry, understand the tech, and be able to have that education to actually have the power to make decisions about job opportunities, life opportunities, play opportunities, whatever it might be. Unstoppable Women of Web3 has a mission to do just this. And companies have become involved at, I don't want to say, I'm only familiar with the term alarming rates, but I mean that in a good way, like a good alarm, <laughs> alarming rates uh, to me, this as an industry challenge. One of the fascinating statistics that you brought up recently was from this, this uh, Paris Metaverse Summit in which 89% of people felt like the metaverse was for the elite. Obviously, everyone wants to change that. So not only should the accessibility be high, but the ease of use should be high. You shouldn't have people sitting on a ceiling not knowing how to get down. And in order to do that, companies really have to prioritize what they're putting out there, what the education is, and, and really kind of sink in and get into it. We also went over what Unstoppable Domains does, and it's, it's a two-parter here. So the first part is you selling web three domain names. The second part is taking that domain name that you then own and using it to create your own digital identity to log into all kinds of applications and to use that and to own that for yourself. We talked about what businesses can do for it and how there's all kinds of applications, but how it the main thing that it does is it really changes the way businesses market because now they have to convince a user to actually share their data and share their experiences with them as opposed to just going out and kind of buying those lists of data that are available now. We finally ended with a I talk about the youngins, um, how how the younger generations, younger users already get digital collectibles and assets. They not only want to use them and see the real value in using them, but they, they're out there collecting, owning, and using them already in the metaverse. And as you mentioned, 40% of the younger generation is already in the metaverse. As this generation ages, the power of ownership and the power of digital collectibles will become more and more apparent. So such a fun talk, Sandy. Thank you so much for coming on. The thing that I always like to end with with all of my guests is a moment of reflection. And that is, what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the crypto industry and being successful? Yeah, I think this is always um, what I would tell my um, younger self, which is to take more risks sooner. You know, when I started learning it, I probably got excited about it maybe a year before I actually took the leap, went down the rabbit hole. And um, I've gotten better at that as I've gotten older, as I've matured in my career, I've gotten better at taking more risks and knowing that if I take a risk and I don't succeed, that learning is just as valuable as had I been successful. You know, when I was younger, I think, you know, especially as women, I don't think we take as much risk as men. I don't really know why that is, but I do wish that I had taken more risk. And I would say on this space, if you're sitting there and you are thinking, gosh, should I do it? Should I do something? Should I learn? Absolutely, yes. It is not too late. We are so early and we need your input, especially women and diversity, in order to shape the next generation of the web. 
we must have diverse thought go into it. Otherwise, it's not going to end up being as innovative and as great as we know it could be. I love that. That's a perfect way to end. If you are a person who's considering getting into Web3, please check out the educational resources at Unstoppable Domains. I'll link them in the show notes. Um, Sandy, where can people find you, follow you? If you want to be found and followed, keep up with Unstoppable <laughs> Domains. Plug all the things for me. I am on every form of social media you could possibly imagine. So I'm Sandy underscore Carter on Twitter. I am Sandy Carter on LinkedIn. I do a lot of nice blogs and stuff, especially for a lot of the folks who haven't jumped into Web3. I'm Sandy underscore Carter founder on um, Instagram. So those are probably the top ones, but you can find me anywhere. And I would love, you know, any questions or anything, please feel free to ask them. Uh, no question is silly or, you know, if you're thinking it, someone else has the same question. Ah, I love that. That's so wonderful. For all the listeners, please be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business of Esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Poss. You can catch me Wednesday afternoons on the Business of Esports Live After Show. And this podcast will be in your feed every week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.